Hi, welcome to the Bioinformatics Chat. Today I'm speaking with Alexey Sergushichev. Alexey is assistant professor at ITMO and uh, head of bioinformatics laboratory at ITMO. And also Ekaterina Vyachi. Ekaterina is COO at the Bioinformatics Institute. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Roman. Hi. So um, the main reason I invited you today is because you are the organizers of the Bioinformatics Contest, which uh, ended just recently. It's interesting to talk to you about the problems and also about the organization of this event. Before we get into that, I want to find out more about your background. So, Alexey, how did you get into bioinformatics and uh, what has your path been like? I am uh, graduated basically from my university. So it started from informatics, from Olympiad in informatics in Russia. I, I believe you are also uh, trained in informatics and took part in this contest. So and one of the best universities in Russia in computer science is it more and also known for world champions in ACM, ICPC and so on. So I applied there, studied there like for six years, basically my bachelor and master degree. So when you applied, uh, were you already interested in biology or just in computer science? Uh, no, I just was like informatics. So, and uh, I never expected like in high school uh, to do any like biology related, uh, like anything. Uh, so I was interested in programming, so competitions and so on. So I thought that I would be a programmer and uh, went to it more because, well, that's where a lot of good programmers are studying and a lot of my like friends went there. And uh, like around fourth, third or fourth year, there was some idea at uh, our head of our department. So it's department, this computer technology department, uh, was the one that uh, basically teaches, uh, trains uh, these champions in ACM ICPC. But the problem was that uh, a lot of people, well, they went working in Google and Facebook. If there was a, yeah, there was a Facebook there then. So uh, there was this idea that, well, probably it's interesting to get these uh, good programmers to do some, I know, science. So our heads, like Kantal Bramishaluta and Vladimir Parfenov, invited uh, Yegor Prokhorchuk, which is one, he's doing bioinformatics in, in Russia. Like, so he gave a talk about genome assembly and so on. So a few guys, first without me, uh, started to do, to work on genome assembly problem, which is, which, which, which was stated pretty, uh, like computationally or algorithmic problem. So basically as a normal contest. Yeah. So I'm starting from that. It's like a year after I joined and basically two of my teammates, because in ACM ICPC, there are three people usually in a team and my teammates, also group mates also joined me and we did some genome assembly algorithm development. And uh, around the end of the like my, so basically my uh, bachelor project and master project were about bioinformatics, algorithmic bioinformatics. And then at the end of the master year, I was, uh, I met Maxim Artemov, who is a professor of uh, pathology and immunology in Washington University in St. Louis, who's based, well, he's immunologist now. And there was, it continued to be like from, 
from uh, simple well, kind of simple algorithmic bio, uh, bioinformatics to more like systems biology and stuff like that. So the real biology uh, came there. Well, and basically I defended my PhD under his uh, supervisorship. And well, here am I in, st- also still at it more, uh, like heading a bioinformatics laboratory. Pretty cool. Uh, Yekaterina, what about you? What led you into bioinformatics? Well, uh, my initial training is not connected to bioinformatics. I'm in, uh, I studied uh, higher education, uh, science and administration in University of Oslo. And pretty much uh, before that, I was uh, engaged with uh, various projects uh, in the education sphere. And for my master thesis, um, I was doing research on universities and industry connections in St. Petersburg. And uh, I end up interviewing uh, a lot of people uh, connected with IT and uh, bioinformatics. And I thought that uh, that was really interesting and cool field uh, to be engaged in. So I joined the group of, uh, of organizers of bioinformatics courses at uh, St. Petersburg Academic University which uh, further we developed into Bioinformatics Institute uh, to experiment more with the programs and projects like this contest. When did you get this idea to organize a contest? How did that come about? Well, I I guess it happened like uh, two, three years ago. We had this idea of uh, having something similar to programming contests uh, in the field of bioinformatics. But it's, it's, it's set as an idea for a long time. And, uh, then we uh, met the Alexei and his team uh, from Atmo University. And I guess it, uh, started actively developing from, from that point. Yeah. So like one time, uh, Katya and, uh, and Kolya actually said that, well, we had, we have an idea to do a bioinformatics contest, uh, as well, as uh, similar to other contests like programming. So I, basically it was a nice idea. Well, we said, okay, great, let's do this. But uh, the problem was that it's uh, hard to do uh, problems for um, like bioinformatics contest because you need a lot of bioinformatician. So we uh, tried to uh, ask our uh, peers uh, for the problems but it's also like took you know, like a year or something to get a set of ideas for problems for the first uh, for the first contest. Yeah, because there's no prior art, right? Are you guys aware of any other such bioinformatics competitions, or is is this like literally the first one, or I guess the second one? The the first one was last year um, in in the history of humanity. Well, uh, like first of all, there there is Rosalind. Which is not like not a contest, but it's a plot- platform with a lot of bioinformatics like problems, like algorithmic problems. There are also several other um, uh, like competitions, like uh, dream challenges, where they have not really bioinformatics uh, competition, but it's maybe more like competition in biology. And so there are a couple of them. And like recently, uh, I believe start like also like uh, the first one was a year year ago. You said top coder uh, precision 
medicine challenge, like a, basically a set of challenges also in algorithms by informatics. So there are a couple of similar, but they are not called contests. And uh, they are very specific. Like basically uh, each one of them is uh, one particular problem that they want to solve. I believe there are no like, and in uh, normal contest and programming, there are like usually several problems that people should know like a lot of things to get to the first place. Uh, yes, and we were in the beginning. We were thinking a lot about the, like uh, basic questions, like the duration of the contest. Is it uh, re- real to solve a bioinformatics problem in twenty-four hours? So we need a week, or we want to do it more like a traditional programming cost- contests to be it more, uh, I don't know, like active. Like you have twenty-four hours and you need to do it fast, like in a hackathon style. So there were a lot, lots of discussions on that. Yeah, basically, we uh, one of the things that we tried to replicate, maybe or like to repeat, was uh, Challenge Twenty Four, which has also has uh, uh, interesting problems, and it had to be solved in twenty four hours. So we we decided that it actually it should be a good format for us for us too. So the, their problem, well, their problems are not domain specific, but uh, the format is kind of uh, clicked with us. So we decided, well, uh, 24 hours is great because we have, we can have an online competition for uh, all the world, like without time zones problem and so on. And yeah, and for, for qualification, we decided that uh, we don't want to pressure, to have a lot of pressure for our participants. So that uh, like a week should be enough to uh, start working and start solving something. Yeah. So for those who are not aware, um, the bioinformatics contest both last year and this year uh, consisted of two parts. The first part is the qualification round, which lasted a week. And the second part is the actual competition, which uh, lasts 24 hours. So what was the reasoning behind splitting this into two parts what's the motivation for uh for the qualification round why not just have the the actual final round well the, there are two parts uh first is at least like for the first time we were not so uh, one of the reasons why the bioinformatics contest happens is uh, to you know test static platform so we are not sure um, like how how it will respond to a lot of participants. So we decided that, well, in the finals, we want to limit the amount of participants probably. And mm. also the other part is more you know, simple is that we wanted participants to, uh, to try to use Stepic because it's not, not a lot of them are uh, doing contests. Not a lot of them are doing uh, like uh, learn edu- uh, courses from Stepic and so on. So the qualification round, it's also, it's, it's not just, uh, to limit the number of participants in the finals. It's also like a lot of the, a lot of it is for participants to learn how to, how to use a platform, what is the competition and so on. One thing that we didn't you know, expect was that, well, we probably should, should have, should have expected this, but didn't thought about it is that, uh, a lot of participants, in our contest didn't uh, took part in any uh, other contests. So it's the whole idea of the uh, programming contests were, were 
uh, not that obvious for them. So that's basically why the qualification part uh, round was uh, devised. Yeah, yeah, the reason behind the qualification round was more educational. It's like what Alexei was uh, talking about. Uh, we wanted to attract biologists to this context, not only computer scientists, uh, and we wanted to get them used to, to the, how the process, how the test system works, and etc. Plus, to add some more of uh, competition uh, into their context. And actually, Stepic works just fine with uh, a thousand participants, so <laughs> that wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned Stepic, and uh, for those who are not aware, uh, Stepic is, well, first it's the platform on which the contest was uh, held. And uh, generally, it's sort of like Russian Coursera, although it's not strictly in, in Russian, but... Um, has, I guess, roots in Russia. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what is your uh, relationship with uh, Stepic? Well, one of the uh, contest uh, organizers is uh, founder of Stepic. So we're pretty much uh, in connection with the Stepic team. Uh, and uh, yes, while we developed the first bioinformatics contest, uh, there was a huge interest from the Stepic team uh, to organized an international competition on their platform. So our interests uh, has met. <laughs> and uh, also Bioinformatics Institute, uh, apart from the contest, we develop uh, several uh, online courses, uh, mostly in Russian, on programming, bioinformatics, biology. And we uh, create them on Stepic for like a wider audience. They're all open and free. And we've been uh, creating them since 2014. But before before the context, we have never used this platform uh, for anything else than than online courses. So it was new to us. How good is the qualification route at filtering participants? Do you you have some statistics? How many people took part in the qualification round and then how many people progressed to the final round? Uh, Yeah, Uh, so it was... The statistics more, more or less this. So there are like 3,000 enrolled people that basically said that uh, I want to enroll to the competition on Stepic platform. However, only, uh, I believe, well, not only, like around 800 of them actually did uh, take part in the contest. So they tried to submit something and got some points. And around 400 of them uh, qualified to the finals. But then what's interesting is that uh, I, I looked at the uh, final table from the final round. I, I don't know, uh, does the final table include those who did not get into the final or is just uh, those who qualified for the final? Uh, it's it's all, all, the, all people that qualified to the finals. So not all of them actually did submit anything. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Uh, I think... Over over half of participants didn't score a single point. And do you have any insight whether they tried to submit something but failed or they just maybe forgot about the contest or didn't care? I believe the latter because there was pretty easy uh, steps, like parts of the problems that was easy to solve. So I believe it's not uh, hardness of the final. So basically both qualification and finals uh, are designed that they have simple problems so maybe that they're not uh, enough to like qualify or to get to the top 20 but it's uh, 
we we try to uh, make it interesting for all the people. So not not on the not only the top one top ones, but for all of them. So I, I believe it just uh, they didn't want that much. Maybe they had some other stuff to do and so on. Yeah, I want to try that. Maybe the timing was not perfect. We tried to check before announcing the date that we are not overlapping with anything related to the contest or like programming or in biology. But there was an Olympics uh, finishing on this day, I guess, like the final hockey match or something. Uh, and there were a couple of competitions. They still in overlap with us. So maybe some people were more interested with other events. Actually, so I was just uh, talking to Kat about this. So Gennady Kurtkevich, I believe, Roman, you know this. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, you know this guy, and he was their uh, champion, and the, the last time, the first time, and also known in uh, competitive programming. So he actually took part in two other contests during the our bioinformatics final round. <laughs> oh wow, that's incredible! Yeah, I, I have my own story about Gennady Kurtkevich. I actually don't know him uh, personally, and I. So the the story was that last year he also took part and I think he he scored the first uh, place, um, and I was showing this contest to a friend of mine who is uh, into these programming competitions because I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, programming competitions, uh, but I showed the, uh, these problems to to a friend of mine, and uh, he looked at the scoreboard and he's like, oh, Gennady Kartkevich, and I didn't didn't know this guy, but my friend told me that he's like his super genius is is he also from uh, St. Petersburg or I, I I think he's Belarusian but uh, he he's he studies in St. Petersburg or something yeah he was born in Gomel and he's Belarusian but uh, he studies in, in ITMO so he yeah like won two times the the world programming championship in, as a part like uh, with a team of from ITMO and so on so he finishes his master degree now do you know if he's also into biology or does he consider this just as a programming challenge? Well, he, he doesn't do biology. <laughs> that's, uh, that's for real. Uh, sure. But, uh, he, so basically his master, uh, master thesis will be about actually one of the bioinformatics related problems about insight ah, enrichment analysis. Yeah. And basically, actually, yeah, I will, uh, I'm going to be his supervisor on this. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, but this uh, this isn't like the thing that we want to say is that uh, while he is from ITMO and we like I know him personally, we didn't uh, help him like to take part in the finals, so he's on his own. This. Oh, of course, of course, and yeah, I'm I'm sure he he doesn't need any help. Yeah, actually, actually, he could help us. But he decided to participate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously you try to balance uh, your problems, include some hard ones, include some uh, uh, easier ones. Um, how good are you guys at predicting which problems will turn out to be hard and which will turn out to be easy? It didn't ever happen that um, you thought that some problem was an easy one and very few people solved it, or you thought that a problem was a, a very um, hard one, and but a lot of people solved it? Well, uh, the hardness is mostly, well, predicted it more or less go uh, good. Like one thing that we didn't do properly here in like this round is 
and the fourth problem uh, where actually not the the problem was not about hardness but about scoring scheme so there was pretty easy to score something <laughs> and however like otherwise the hardness is is can be predicted rather well the thing that we want to balance uh, except like aside from hardness is that uh, biology and informatics so that's uh, harder to predict basically our first uh, like the the previous year uh, the most problems were, were algorithmic so it was not really uh, well, it was bioinformatics contest but it was it also can be viewed as a like a programming contest in bioinformatics however this time we tried to uh, do it like to make it more bioinformatic-ish. I don't know. So the first problem was uh, required at least uh, Googling some biology or knowing some biology. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I also noticed that the uh, last year it was pretty much programming competition problems, but sort of with this uh, legend, right? Uh, for, for some reason, these people who write problems for programming competitions, not, not just this one, but in general, uh, something I noticed and something I, I don't quite like about these competitions is that they like to write really long stories, right? Uh, wrapping this more or less simple to understand programming problems, but they like to wrap it in, uh, in this very long uh, legend and uh, it, it always takes me uh, quite a bit of time to decipher what what they actually want me to do and so uh, last year i got this impression that this was pretty much yeah a programming competition but uh with the with the legends being about some some biology uh but this year um i, I think it's it's fair to say yeah you, you improved uh, quite a bit on that yeah the problems actually look like something a bind from edition would solve and i think there is a spectrum right um some of the problems were very artificial, I'd say, but some of them, so for example, tandem repeats was a pretty much a, a bioinformatics problem, as uh, yeah. exactly as a bioinformatician would solve it, and there are a lot of papers written about it. So, like, as you're mentioning the tandem repeats, so I want to thank David Eccles. So, for the previous year, all the problems were designed by our team. However, this year we uh, made an open, open call for problems. So, and David responded. And this problem for tandem repeats is actually based on his ideas. So, and he's a bioinformatician. So, and also he was saying that our, our previous contest was just about programming. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, what about this year's problems? Uh, how many were, um, uh, were made by you and uh, how many were contributed? Yeah, so this year we didn't uh, have a lot of uh, problem re- responses from open call, open call. So basically, the one we selected was only uh, from like uh, from David Eccles. However, we expanded our team who uh, devises the problems. So basically, I maybe try to try to talk about the organizational part. So there are like uh, two, I know, sets of people. So one of them are, are designing like problem ideas and maybe like legend, well, some sort of legends. So basically what's the problem will be, will be about and how it will be solved probably. Uh, and there is another team, basically one of the guys that have big, uh, big background in uh, contests. So they know how to do tests. 
So mm-hmm. they design tests, they design uh, solvers, they design checkers and so on. Yeah, so this year, uh, the, the team included both biologists and uh, computer scientists, all familiar with bioinformatics. Yeah, but but we, ho- but we hope for uh, more responses for our call for problems uh, like next year. Now, if someone uh, submits a problem, isn't that sort of a conflict with, with their own participation? How does that work? Like if I submit a problem that I already solved, or at least I have plenty of time to solve it. Well, uh, basically, if you submit a problem, uh, you're agreed that you won't participate if this problem is in the finals. So this year, we decide, well, probably the next few years also, we decided that, well, we had this I don't know, problem or uh, conflict of interest for David. So we decided that the, the problem, as his problem is in the in the qualification, well, he can solve it actually, or so there was no problem for him to solve it. Right, right. Basically, we believed he is he will be qualified. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, he was qualified this last time, so there was no problem. With this, however, yeah, if this problem would be in the final round, so he wouldn't be well, either one is uh, have problem in the finals, or he doesn't participate in final, or, or he participated in finals. Yeah. So that's an additional sort of disincentive to to submit problems because if you if you happen to be lucky, <laughs> you will be excluded. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in any way you can you can say that. Well, I uh, please get my problem back from the problem set. I want to participate. So, mm. <laughs> and at least like it's like for for qualification round, it's. It's also not trivial to make a problem for qualification, so it's always a way to go just to make it in the qualification. Yeah. So once you have, uh, so for example, once you come up with a problem, then you have to come up with a solution, right? And I guess for some problems, right, there, there could be different modes of coming up with a problem. Sometimes when you come up with a problem, just the fact that you came up with it means that you already know the solution. So, for example, you, you you can design a problem around a known algorithm that you have in mind, right? Um, other times, you can design a problem, and even if you don't have a solution to that problem, but because you are making the tests, this is sort of this uh, P versus NP uh, dilemma, right? Because you're making the tests, you, you know the solution. Uh, so, a good example was the problem with um, phylogenetic networks, right? Where uh, mm-hmm. you, you had to color the networks, but if you design the test case, uh, you know the, the coloring, you know the, um, yeah. the true clustering, um, or, or at least a feasible clustering. Uh, but there is a third option, which is you have to solve the problem, and uh, it may be a hard problem, right? Um, do you ever struggle to solve your own pro- problems? Well, we have a motto: is that uh, it's participants. Well, the problems are solved by participants, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we usually have we like a must is uh, to have a at least idea of a solution. So, for example, for this cattle breeding problem, actually, uh, we don't know what is the best way to solve it, at least mm-hmm. in, in this uh, setting. However, like we know that, like how it could be solved. So, how, and it can be seen that uh, there are no hundred uh, percent points for this problem. As basically, we overestimated uh, a bit 
how much uh, it can be optimized. However, and this is not not a like, ideal scenario. So usually, for example, for haplotype phasing, it's also not. It's a hard problem. However, there we uh, had a lot of solutions. So and we designed it in such a way with, with such tests that it can be possible to solve it. And basically, mm-hmm. that's uh, you can see that there are a lot of people, well, not a lot of, but top uh, ten people solved it hundred percent. But but for some problems, for example, the optimization problems, right? Unless you have the correct solution, uh, you can't really score because you don't know whether the participant solution is the optimal answer or not, right? So you have to solve it. Uh, well, again, for cattle breeding problem, uh, well, the points were set, like the scoring scheme was set because we know we knew uh, upper bound more or less on the solution. So we didn't know how good you can get to it. Yeah, I'm thinking more, for example, in the qualification round, there was this uh, restriction size problem where you have to modify the smallest number of nucleotides. And so you have to know what the smallest number actually is. Yeah, and, and for this problem, yeah, we just uh, had a solution like, that we know that was optimal and then just compared it with it. So we, basically, we had, we, like for all the problems, we tried to have a, a best solution. And however, we, do, we don't actually, not for all the problems, we really need this. So with some of the problem, some of the, it's actually a, a good part of the contest is that for optimization problems, some of the participants can get better scores than you can get. And actually mm-hmm. it's good. It's a good thing. Like again, for some of the for some other contests, if there is optimization problem, like the one guy, I, I know, like Kaggle competitions in machine learning. So the one who fits uh, the model, uh, the tests based and best is the champion. So we also can have have it here. So we don't know uh, how to perfectly solve, you know, clustering problem. Like from scratch, we know the answer, but we don't know how to, uh, how what is the best algorithm for this. But there are participants who can uh, get a lot of uh, different schemes uh, for solving for solving this, and actually some of them can be much better than the because there are a lot of participants and they are very smart. So there there is a limited team of uh, contests. So it's actually. <laughs> pretty interesting to see how, how, how good they can get yeah. it's even harder for you to solve these problems uh, for the reason that um you are the sort of reference source so for example when i'm solving these problems i can come up with a solution i don't have to test it thoroughly i can just submit it if it's right i get 100 points if it's not right well i get a fraction of points and then i know i have a mistake so i go back and uh and figure out where where i did wrong but uh, for you guys, you have to know the correct solution, especially, well, as we discussed, maybe not for the optimization problems where uh, the scoring is how well you optimize, uh, but for the exact problems where you have to submit the exact answer, well, you'd better be sure that your answer is the correct one. Where... <laughs> well, and for this, we have uh, two uh, world champions in programming. So, like <laughs> Ilyas Banyan and Artem Vasilyev are 
out there for us. So do, do you just give them problems? Don't tell them the solution or anything, but like go ahead and solve this and then you check that their answers coincide or something? Well, uh, uh, we basically discuss the problem with them, like basically how they would solve it, how fast they can solve it. And then from that, uh, we can set constraints for the problems, like how big uh, the numbers and so on. So it uh, can be so that you can limit you know, what the solutions are good and what are not. And basically, then it's uh, the first part. So we just think what is the best algorithm for this. And the best means that uh, correct and the, fast, the fastest one. Mm-hmm. Well, at least, at least uh, the first one. And then uh, also ideally is uh, that for the, one, the same problem, there are uh, several solutions. Uh, written by several people so that we indeed can check uh, that we can check that all of them can sites and uh, all of them understand the problem in the same way and there are no hidden problems and no so on so it's basically the practice from um, norm, normal program competitions so high level competitions have uh, several uh, solutions, several checkers, and so on. So, do you have any experience in uh, organizing other like programming competitions, or is this your uh, first project? Uh, organizationally, I was like volunteering. So, uh, in 2013, I was volunteering for ACMI CPC uh, World Finals that were held in Saint Petersburg, and I also helped uh, during the like semifinals here, and also took part myself as a uh, contestant in such competitions and also like, Vitalik Sonov, who is the master of the problems of the benchmarks contest. He also like, organizes competitions, smaller competitions in programming. And there are also the people from the team like Ilya and so on. They do the programming contests. They do a lot of training and so on. So it's mm-hmm. basically it was a good thing that uh, Katya came to us for this. <laughs> Is organizing the contest just for fun for you guys, or do you set some sort of goals that you you try to achieve with it? And how, how do you judge whether this or that contest was a success? Yeah, for us, uh, well, I would say for us in the beginning it was just for fun. Like we came with this idea that it would be cool to organize a bioinformatics contest, and uh, luckily we met the Ekman University team to actually develop the problems. Uh, the idea behind this, uh, behind this was to like test, uh, is it really possible to do something like uh, to organize a contest in bioinformatics, uh, to solve problems in 24 hours and to develop problems that could be solved that are kind of uh, close to the real life because they are, most of them are not really exact. And uh, also wanted to promote bioinformatics uh, through uh, computer scientists and biologists, like to attract attention to that. Yeah, I think uh, this more promotes bioinformatics among computer scientists because they look at these problems and the, the problems look familiar. The problems look like something they could solve even without like a deep biological knowledge. But then it's cool that you could contribute to to biology research solving these problems or, or problems like these. Were there any lessons from the last year that you incorporated in, in this year? So something you learned, something that didn't go well or went well? How, how does this year's 
contest compared to the last years from your point of view. What well, one thing we already mentioned was that you try to make the problems less sort of artificial, less less about informatics, a bit more about biology. What else did you learn from the last year? One thing that uh, was important to to remove problems where you have to submit a code. So just uh, limits the number of participants so and it's not all of people are familiar with this. So again, like in this time, all of the problems uh, you can don't you could download the tests, uh, solve them with whatever tools you have or want to use, and then submit the submit the answer. This is uh, was a major major ch- change from the last time. Well, the last year we did everything for the first time. So we tested a lot of things starting from like basic organization and explaining the rules, like delivering the information, how it will be organized. And uh, we had to decide from scratch uh, how we would organize that. And this year it uh, went, I would say, smoothly, uh, smoother, because we already knew the process and we needed only minor changes. And we knew how to communicate to participants. So I guess we improved our communication so there were more newsletters and easier process of uh, signing up and one change was uh, the time zone change so we decided to start at noon utc because it's 3 p.m in moscow so we can start the contest then resolve problems that appear fast like fast from the start and then probably get some sleep uh, not much but some sleep in between what was it last year the last year was uh, midnight UTC it's like 3 a.m. like it was uh, shifted uh, 12 hours so it started at 3 3 a.m. so it was pretty oh, yeah. hard yeah yeah it for, makes sense for, yeah, I guess for minor changes, I also just remember that we also changed the qualification uh, scoreboard to look at uh, the same way as the final scoreboard would like. So people won't be confused how and where to look for their scores. And uh, it appeared to be more I'd like to give a better idea how we would monitor the results. Uh, what were the numbers uh, last year and this year? Did more people participate this year? No, it was more or less the same. It was also around 3,000 uh, overall uh, people who signed up for the competition and around 400, maybe a bit less, uh, that qualified for the finals. Yeah, and uh, I noticed that uh, the majority of names were sort of Russian-looking. So uh, it's probably a large number of people that you could reach that would be interested in uh, in participating. But I guess they just don't know about the contest cause, because the main people you can let know about the competition are are in Russia, right? Well, the last time, uh, so we had a, f- a statistics. It was about uh, 700 people from Russia, 700 from US and to like 500 from India. Mm. So it's actually wasn't that much uh, Russian uh, contest. And this year, if you look at the top table, well, there are not that, that much Russian names. Yeah, I just opened our table from last year with the statistics on users' location. And yeah, the domination is by United States. It's like 685 and followed by Russia, 470. That's true that our communications, uh, communication channels uh, are mostly like Russian oriented and people, we are known like in St. Petersburg and Moscow, 
but we also send in information about the contest through the Rosalind, the bioinformatics uh, tasks portal. So, and there are lots of people from various locations there, but maybe also Rosalind is uh, primarily Russian-based project. So maybe there is a connection with it. I didn't know, by the way, that Rosalind was uh, had uh, Russian roots. Uh, that's interesting. To my best knowledge, uh, in the cooperation of the St. Petersburg Academic University, where Nikolai Vecchi was working at the moment, and uh, University in San Diego. Yeah, and uh, for those who don't know, that's uh, rosalind.info, I believe. So um, you should check it out. There are these problems. D- would you say those problems are similar to the problems from the contest, just maybe a bit easier, or is it a different style? Well, uh, they're probably are similar to the first contest. So usually they're mm. more like algorithmic uh, bioinformatics. That's uh, we tried to avoid this time. So a lot of problems this year didn't have like in the finals. Basically, only one problem has an exact algorithm. Uh, this final and at Rosalind there are problems for specific algorithm, for, like for alignment, for tandem, small tandem repeats, and so or, like massive search. So while a lot of people come from Rosalind to uh, con- to the contest, it's uh, not not the other way, probably. So let's talk about the problems. Um, shall we start with the qualification round? The qualification round lasted a week, and there were uh, three problems. So the first problem of the qualification round was synthesis of ATP. And the legend was that you work in a biotech laboratory which specializes in production of ATP from glucose and oxygen using yeast as perfectus. The species was developed so that it can very efficiently produce ATP using two pathways, fermentation and aerobic respiration. And so uh, the laboratory has a budget and you have the price of glucose and price of oxygen. Um, and you have to figure out how much of each you, can, you should buy to maximize your production of ATP. And in the problem, which was a part of the problem, you're not given any reaction, so you have to figure it by yourself. But you are given a few examples. So uh, a few inputs, a few outputs. Now, if you know linear programming and and, uh, mixed integer linear programming, what they are, and just basically the terms, and you can Google them and you can find the library, that solves, I guess, the computational part of the problem. And you just need to figure out the reactions. So what was your uh, reasoning? Uh, was that primarily directed at people who know about these algorithms, uh, or at least their names? Or was the idea that you have to figure out how to solve this without any special knowledge? Well, uh, we designed this problem to be like an, an easy problem for like all, all people. It's actually was our first try to get to like a bioinformatics problem. So as you said, there was no explanation what is fermentation, what is uh, respiration, and so on. So for people who know this, like from biology background, well, only in general they maybe not don't know the linear programming framework. However, here we had it uh, like with two constraints, so it's pretty, it was pretty. It should be pretty simple to like draw the lines and so on, and understand how to solve it. And to, we did a like harder version for the second part. 
So the main part, the main uh, idea was to get a, like a computationally simple problem, but to uh, to have a like, more biological, I know, related knowledge to be required, or like at least googling to be required to solve it. That that was uh, what I did. I just googled these reactions, and I arrived at the Wikipedia page. Uh, or pages for uh, aerobic respiration and uh, and fermentation, uh, but the catch was that those reactions didn't quite work, right? Um, and uh, uh, there were quite a few people complaining in the comments that uh, the the reaction is is a bit off. So specifically, I believe the oxidation reaction. Um, I think the Wikipedia page says that uh, you have glucose and six O two, and you get thirty six molecules of ATP, but in your tests, it appears that uh, the result was 38 molecules of, of ATP. And someone in the comments said that um, it, you probably sort of forgot to subtract uh, two molecules of ATP that participate in, in the reaction itself. So what, was that just a, a mistake or was there some reasoning be behind uh, 38? So as a textbook, actually, uh, so here I didn't try to make something uh, sophisticated. So and this text, a lot of textbook say that the oxidative phosphorylation uh, make uh, 38 ATP per uh, well per glucose and six uh, molecules of uh, O2. So and actually, so yeah, like a, however, uh, the same Wikipedia page says. That actually uh, the number is smaller, and for some organisms it's 36, for some of them it's 38, and so on. So it was quite a like hard choice, hard uh, choice to make. Like which one should we put? So we put uh, 38 and said that it's as perfectus, basically the ideal bacteria, uh, like yeast. Uh, and I believe it is it like. I like after all of this complaint, like before all of these complaints and after all of these complaints, I was uh, reading a lot about uh, yeast metabolism. So I, be I believe uh, 38 is reachable with a Malay transporte shuttle, uh, which can work in yeast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like for this, uh, again, as we uh, made, the, make, made the problem, as, as I said, that it was not trivial to. While the number 38 appears in Google like, pretty easily, or like 36, we just said that, okay, so the people, uh, what they really need to Google, uh, or like, uh, know is that it's one glucose and six oxygen. And the, like, how much ATP is produced can be, uh, found from the tests, from the in input samples. That it, uh, we also assume that it's, uh, like, that it's common, like, uh, scientific knowledge that fermentation is uh, one glucose and two ATPs. However, the comment that all fermentations can be uh, get like four ATPs in some uh, weird circumstances. So there we <laughs> didn't think about this. However, also the number two can be uh, found from the second sample, second uh, like from the samples for the hard harder version of the problem. Yeah, yeah, that, that's how I basically. Yeah, that, that's how I solved it. So I, I couldn't uh, Google the correct reaction, so I tried the, the sort of the standard one. It didn't work. And then I just wrote another program that uh, enumerated all the reasonable coefficients in these reactions <laughs> and compared the results to the, the official results. And then uh, uh, it just 
came out as uh, 38. Well, basically, after you know that uh, it's uh, one six one glucose six uh, oxygens or one glucose per uh, two ATPs, it's pretty simple to find that it's actually in the that's in the examples. Yeah, you need to buy a lot of oxygen and like to get the respiration going on, and then just uh, don't have uh, I know money for glyco for fermentation. So there, like number thirty eight, can be you can get it pretty easily, or, or like by enumeration or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, that, that's assuming you know which number is wrong, but. Um usually you just submit and, and you see that your result is wrong and you have no idea which one of the uh, six or so or maybe four four coefficients uh, is wrong so <laughs> i i decided just to enumerate all of them um okay so uh problem two in the qualification round was uh, restriction sites um and there were three versions of this problem so the first two well, the, the first version was a special case of the second one, so I guess there's not much point in discussing the first one. But in the second one, you're given a um, primary RNA sequence, and you are given a set of intervals. Um, and you have to change the smallest number of nucleotides in this RNA sequence, such that each interval contains at least, at least one changed nucleotide. But the translated amino acid sequence remains uh, the same. And so the, uh, the first version was a special case of the second version where uh, it was guaranteed that the intervals are non-overlapping. In the second version, they could be overlapping, and they were. Um, and then the third version was that instead of just the intervals, you had a set of strings that shouldn't occur in the modified RNA. So you don't know where they, well, basically they can occur anywhere. So version two, do you want to describe uh, your uh, your vision of the solution or I could describe mine? Actually, just like a disclaimer. So I, uh, not for all of these problems, say no exact solutions, <laughs> exact, uh, exact algorithms, because well, it's uh, hard to know everything. <laughs> And uh, so for this problem, I believe uh, the simplest, well, the first and second version are pretty simple and they are, well, it's kind of messy to implement, but uh, it's pretty straightforward uh, for each interval or like uh, two consecutive intervals. And for, you can check uh, a few cases, uh, maybe not a few, about uh, whether you can change uh, <laughs> Uh, something or not, like you know, uh, using one single uh, single nucleotide change or like two two nucleotide change and so on. And uh, the hardest version is uh, like dynamic programming, basically. Uh, again, with some cases, but more or less the same, I believe, from pretty similar to the easier ones. Uh, interesting. I, d I didn't think uh, about dynamic programming, uh, to be honest. But So the way I solved it is uh, first I did some simplifications. So the very first step, very useful step, is just to remove redundant intervals. So if you have one interval nested in the other interval, 
then you know that if you satisfy the smaller interval, you'll automatically satisfy the bigger interval. So you can just get rid of them. And surprisingly, there were quite a few of these large intervals that had uh, smaller ones inside them. So you could just remove them. And uh, the reason this matters is because the second step I did was to split all the remaining intervals into connected components. So um, I could look separately at sort of these islands mm. of intervals that do not intersect. Um, because my uh, algorithm is not linear, uh, it's worse than linear, and so you benefit from splitting this into groups and removing these large intervals helps splitting into smaller groups. And then some of these intervals uh, turn out to be singletons, so they are the only ones in their group, so they don't overlap with any other intervals. Also, it's worth noting that when you when you see whether two intervals overlap, this has to be aware of the reading frame and boundaries because they might not overlap as intervals, but they may sort of touch the same codon, the same three nucleotides in the reading frame. So you have to take that into account. But yeah, so handling singleton intervals is very simple. And then in small groups that remain, I basically did a branch and bound, which is you enumerate all the possibilities, but you enumerate them in the smart way. So because the full tree of options is is huge. And so you try to prune that tree. So, um, so for, for example, once you found a solution, right, every time you your current score sort of exceeds, so your number of nucleotides exceeds that uh, that you already found, there's no point in exploring that branch because it's already worse. Um, and then I did a simple feasibility check. So to prune um, the variants that are obviously not viable. Basically, I, I did a stupid search, but uh, tried to uh, prune the bad branches in, in a smart way, and that worked reasonably so you, well. Like, I really like uh, branch and bound algorithms, I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I was pretty, it's pretty much, uh, I think, the first time in my life that I actually implemented one. So uh, while I was thinking about this problem, and I had this huge tree that was very inefficient. So when I tried, uh, my algorithm didn't finish in any reasonable time. So I was thinking how to optimize this. And then I thought, well, I, I should uh, not explore the branches that are bad. And then somewhere in my sort of subconscious, I remember this term, uh, branch and bounce. And it, it just seemed... Uh, relevant, you know, because <laughs> um, probably I, I read or heard about it somewhere. The basic idea is very intuitive. And sort of once I figured that out, I just had to, to apply it to, to the specific problem. But it turned out very, very um, efficient. And then in version three, the difference is that you don't have the intervals, but instead you have the sequences that you need to avoid. Um, and so the naive way would be to use the previous solution, right, to find the intervals in, uh, in which these sequences occur, uh, these forbidden sequences, then apply the previous version to, to filter out, to mutate those intervals. Uh, but then, of course, some of the sequences may reappear because of your mutation, so you have to repeat and repeat. I'm not even sure whether this process necessarily converges, but that that's sort of one way to to approach this. 
on the, I, I believe uh, we have a exact solution. I believe it uses dynamic programming, probably like something like suffix trees or something like this to check whether you will have some something to appear or not. So I, I just say, say here that we'll uh, publish the analysis, the problem analysis with like solutions, not only with answers, but uh, how to solve it. I believe for maybe by the end of the week or maybe the next week. So all the solutions that we have exact ones will be published so that you can look how we try to solve it, to approach it. And I believe for this problem, we had uh, like an, an exact algorithm that runs in polynomial time. And that's why these constraints are, can, are coming from our, uh, from our jury solution. So they, they're not, because in the uh, like branching bound or stuff or approaches like this, so you don't have a exact upper bound on how much time it will, it will, uh, be required yeah. for the problem. Probably. You have to be lucky. Yeah. So probably we didn't do the test properly for this. <laughs> so actually, actually, that's why. Uh, so usually, uh, if like contest uh, team, like in same general, if they if the contest team have uh, has a lot, like a lot of time and people, so that's why you. The same problem is approached by several people and they, maybe even like the same person can, or the same team can do several solutions so they can be graded differently. So, okay. So, for example, all well, like these can, so for example, these constraints will differentiate between that simple solution and the harder, like more harder one, but faster. So basically, if you knew that, uh, that I would do a, um, branch and bound solution, you would come up with a test. That, that would uh, penalize me and sort of make that infeasible, right? And make me come up with a dynamic yeah. uh, program. Yeah, so it's actually uh, relevant. <laughs> so here in the lab, like uh, adjacent lab, we have research that uh, does on evolutionary computationals, computations, uh, like evolution algorithms and so on, like optimization. And one of the application is to how to make uh, the hard test for NP hard problems. So the, the, there is uh, one site like called Timus in Russia, like uh, made by Ural Federal University. Uh, they had like it's like Rosalind. It has a lot of problems, but in algorithms and several of the problems are actually NP-complete. So the the constraints are not that big, but kind of big bigish for NP-complete problem, and so the. So several of these problems had some solutions that passed the time limits for the test that they, they had. However, uh, and so the guys that uh, were doing it uh, here, like adjacent to us, they uh, tried to, for particular solution, to try to find a uh, like test case that will be, uh, that will fail this problem so that it will work a larger time than the time limit. So, yeah, if we knew your solution, we would be trying to <laughs> make a proper test for this. <laughs> yeah, and, and for version 3, which is about, uh, uh, you know, um, mutating uh, so that no uh, substrings appear in, in the RNA string, um, I also used uh, branch and bound. Uh, so every time you use dynamic programming, I use branch and bound. Uh, and the, the way I did that was um, 
so as, as you as you mentioned, you you can use some some kind of tree. So I used an ad hoc um, algorithm to um, so you can build this sort of um, tree out of um, your forbidden strings, and you can traverse the string, and you can uh, determine in linear time uh, whether uh, the substrings appear anywhere uh, along your way, and so you can produce the mutations, right? But of course, then you have to minimize the number of mutations. So again, you have the search problem. And so the, the way I did uh, branch and bound here, I, I had to come up with a good bound because otherwise, if you're in the in the beginning of the string, it's very easy to come up with some solution, but then you have to minimize it. And so uh, let's say this some solution is 100 nucleotides have to be mutated. And then you're looking for a smaller number but the problem is that when you in the uh, when you are in the beginning of the string, you have this huge budget of hundred nucleotides, and so you can be very wasteful with them. But then once you approach the end of the string, you realize that that was wasteful. Uh, but you already spent a lot of time exploring those uh, branches, and so the way I uh, resolved that was um, I split the string in two. Right, and again, because this is a worse than linear algorithm, it runs much faster on, let's say, half of the string. And so, I first I run the algorithm on the second half of the string, and of course, that recursively runs it on the um, last quarter of the string and last eighth of the string, and so on. And so, this allows me to get a more realistic bound because I know that this is a um, sort of minimum bound on how much, how many nucleotides I have to mutate. For the second half of the string, and then I can incorporate that into my um, bound calculation. So that worked reasonably well. I also had um, speaking of uh, NP complete, uh, the way I approached the the, fir uh, the first and second versions of this problem, where you have just intervals. Um, so uh, first, I formulated this as an integer programming problem. Right in the spirit of the first problem, where it was uh, mixed integer linear programming, so I figured, well, I could use integer programming here too. So the way it works is, uh, you can enumerate all the all the codons and all the mutations in those codons, and then you have uh, these constraints that each interval uh, has to have at least one mutation. So that's just a a linear uh, constraint. Right, the the sum of the so basically you assign zero or one to every codon, and uh, you say that at least one of them has to be mutated in each interval, and then uh, you also uh, come up with a constraint that says that each codon has to be mutated in at most one way or exactly one uh, codon sequence has to be assigned to that triplet. Uh, so I tried that, and uh, it actually worked okay on the smaller examples. But the fun thing it was that I, I submitted my solution, and uh, most of the responses were correct, but, but like a tiny minority were wrong. And that was odd. And uh, then I reran my algorithm, <laughs> and uh, some of those actually changed, and I, and I submitted the second time. And uh, I got a higher score, so they were sort of changed for the better ones. <laughs> and and the algorithm was completely deterministic, and it, it used this uh, uh, mixed integer linear programming uh, library, uh, CBC. 
and its bindings for Haskell. So I, I solved my, all my problems in Haskell. And so I used this library that uh, brought this, and CBC is written in C++. So I was thinking, and CBC is like this very cool library, which is, I think it's maintained at IBM uh, by some cutting-edge researchers. So I thought, well, it's clearly a bug somewhere in the library because, well, my program is completely deterministic, right? And so the problem could be in C++ library, but then this library is widely used and widely tested, and that seems unlikely. Or the problem is in the Haskell library that wraps the C++ library. But the Haskell library is very simple. It just all it does is it calls C++ functions. <laughs> so that was very mysterious. Um, and uh, after I, I already solved this uh, with the branch and bound, but I looked uh, further into it, and it turned out that uh, the Haskell bindings had a um, had a bug where uh, it was basically a memory management bug because you have to explicitly call all the constructors and destructors. And uh, but in in Haskell, um, I guess they use this uh, automatic release. And so because they didn't declare the dependency on the structure, the structure was sometimes occasionally released prematurely and that resulted in memory corruption and that resulted in uh, a somewhat wrong solution. <laughs> so, so that was fun. So was it, was it fixed? And then... Yeah, yeah, the guy fixed it very, very quickly. And uh, I think, um, so it was like within a day. And uh, of course, the qualification route lasted a week. So I had plenty of time to use the fixed version to solve the first problem. I no longer use it for the second problem. So that, that's like a, a good result of mathematics contest uh, fixes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that was excellent. Fixed. I, I guess the the main result for me is well, first I um, found it and and uh, reported this bug, which which got fixed. But also, what what I liked about this is it makes me tackle some problems that I wouldn't uh, find in real life. And not not just, you know, read some papers. So, for example, tangent repeats, which uh, we'll discuss next. I, I didn't solve that problem, uh, but I looked into it, and that made me find and read some papers and try to think how I might implement that. And this is a totally different level from just, you know, casually read, reading a paper about an algorithm. And oh, it sort of makes sense. Right, I probably could figure that out, but actually sit down and do figure it out or figure out how to use a branch and bound algorithm. That's actually very, very useful. And so, um, I really got a lot of out of uh, of this competition. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so uh, problem three: tandem repeats. Right, and it's basically what what you would imagine tandem repeats are. Right, so they are um, this. Uh, repeated sequences that occur uh, next to each other. So you have a long string and then the exact same long string right next to it. And these all embedded in some very long genome or whatever. And you have to find them. And uh, in this case, they were not exact. Or I guess, were they exact in one of the versions, maybe? Yeah, the first, the simplest one was Exact one. But in general, they are not—they're um, not exact, and um, they are measured by their uh, Levenstein distance, 
which is basically the added distance, right? How many nucleotides you have to either replace or insert or delete to make them the same string. And there was a constraint because obviously you can mutate any string to any other, uh, but there was a constraint that the added distance had to be uh, less than 10% of the length. Of the, right, I think the it was maximum min length. Oh, max yeah, length. Yeah, okay. one of this. <laughs> this problem you said was proposed by David Eccles. Uh, did he also uh, submit a solution to this, or did you have to solve it yourself? Uh, so actually, this problem we uh, if we didn't have a like proper algorithm to solve it, so we tried to by. Uh, our problem was to like make tests here, so and we tried to make it so it can be solved in different uh, ways. So, well, with uh, the exact problem, it's pretty easy. So there is just uh, it's a standard problem from discrete mathematics, so like normal contests where you can, or maybe actually not that standard. So, but the main idea was that uh, people can approach this problem from different perspectives. So one of them is just they can use Tylenol blasts or something. And they can use Nucmer. You can they can write some program pro, programs, can algorithms for themselves and so on. So here I believe we didn't have uh, like an uh, uh, ideal solution that we uh, tried to achieve. So it was nice to see. Uh, I believe there. Are, Several people solved it uh, 100%, so it's pretty nice to see. So we are not, actually, I believe we are not sure that it's uh, how how to find all of these uh, repeats. Of course, we as we generated test, we knew where where the where what is the possible answer, but how to get it? Yeah, if not not for all not for all the tests. Yeah, and and then of course there's a tiny possibility that uh, there's an even longer answer that you don't know about. Yeah, and we didn't restrict it uh, this way. The longer answer is also okay, so it can get hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. So of it's course. not not that it gave you something. So that's like one of the uh, limitation, basically, like for this problem and for other optimization optimization problems. So we had, I don't know, probably, maybe we can, we'll we'll switch from this scheme, but uh, there is another scheme. Like, uh, aside from just scoring, like assigning some scores for some values of um, basically your objective function, is to uh, compare participants with each other. So it's uh, more complicated to well, it's slightly complicated to implement, but not not that hard when we have a separate monitor. But it's um, probably harder for participants because the score is kind of depends on the time. But uh, it's, I know, problem, probably for some of the problem next time, maybe you'll do something like this, so that basically your score is uh, how how good are you compared to the best best uh, to the best solution among the participants yeah from from the participant point of view that's that's like very frustrating and depressing if basically your score can only go down right <laughs> once you submitted well, it well it can't go up until uh, <laughs> but, but yeah it's, we'll so we discuss it uh, among ourselves like you know, what would be easier and simple to understand and more interesting to have so so for this problem it's actually pretty easy for this problem it's uh, kind of 
okay to use a current scheme. I would say that you, this scheme is pretty good for this problem because you can't get much uh, better than the answers that we have. And also the answer that we have is pretty achievable. So this is compared to some other problems where the like, landscape is tough to understand. Do you know if any of the standard tools for tandem repeats um, could do well uh, in this problem? Like if someone just downloaded and compiled uh, some tool from GitHub or something? Well, I, I believe uh, one of the things that worked for some of the people were using Nukemer. Nukemer is a, like uh, a liner of sequences. So they it's in, and it can plot a dot dot plot, I believe it's called. So just like uh, describes how fragments of sequence is aligned to other fragments of sequence. So in there, if you have a uh, like big line, well, there you can see if you have a repeat. <laughs> I would say this. Uh, so I, I believe it worked for some of the people. So we didn't try uh, this, but we did expect for people to be able to solve it this way. In general, when you design a problem, does that play a role whether there are any existing tools to solve this problem? Do you try to avoid it or maybe try to welcome it? Well, it's, uh, it depends on the problem. So usually we try to, uh, to do the problem in such a way that it can be I know, approachable with some of the available tools, at least, because so that's uh, mostly coming from uh, the idea that you want uh, like a lot of participants well, participants with different backgrounds that maybe they don't know how to actually, uh, they probably don't even know how to like write programs. If you just uh, download the input, it's just faster and uh, use some program uh, that you know how to use. And it's where bioinformatics comes from. So if you know how to use it, well, you can use it. And so we, we are like try to be aware of the uh, tools. And at least like for the uh, simpler test tests, we are actually trying to make them be solvable by uh, existing tools. Okay, so that was the qualification round. And uh, now the final round. So the final round, first problem was recombination of plasmids. That's another one of these very vague uh, problems where you sort of leave it up to the participants to figure things out. So like the first problem of the qualification round. So in this case, it was the text said, DNA recombination involves the exchange of genetic material either between multiple chromosomes or between different regions of the same chromosome. And this process is generally mediated by homology, that is homologous regions of chromosomes line up in preparation for exchange and some degree of sequence identity is required. A recombination is very important as it takes part in DNA repairment and gametogenesis. Recombination is widely applied in genetic engineering. In this problem, we ask you to use one of the types of recombination to assemble a plasmid. A plasmid is a DNA molecule commonly used in genetic engineering to deliver some genes from one organism to another. The classical way of plasmid assembly is restriction ligation method that requires cutting plasmids with special enzymes called restrictases and then putting the fragments back together in the desired order with enzymes called ligases. However, in this problem, plasmid assembly requires recombination between different plasmids. One of them provides the scaffold and others, one or more, contain DNA sequences that need to be arranged 
in a certain order one after another during a process called site-specific recombination. And so the solution to this problem is the plasmid sequence resulting from site-specific recombination between PDAST sequence and PENTER sequences. It has to contain sequences from each PENTER in a specific order inside PDAST. So that's a very long story that pretty much tells you nothing, <laughs> except, I guess, the, the keywords um, site-specific recombination. Um, I, I have to say that this problem was like super frustrating for me. Like it seems that pretty much, well, not everyone, but like a lot of people solved it, and I just couldn't. <laughs> and and I was sort of near the the top of the table, and like all the people around me in the table solved this problem, and I couldn't. <laughs> so so tell me what it is. Yeah, so it's again as uh, people nicely commented in the like in the comments. That it's a reincarnation of the ATP problem. <laughs> <laughs> the idea again was that uh, that we don't uh, have like formal statement that says what you need to do. So and from this you could you should Google uh, stuff like recombination, PDEST. Actually, this is a nice keyword. Oh, th this is this was a real thing because I, I thought that was just a sort of variable name or something that you, you put in there? No, actually, no. So it's the names like this are used in the plasmid recombination field, I would say. So like actually for this problem, I, I so I didn't know the solution. So I tried to solve it myself. So yeah, I was Googling some site-specific recombination, something else, PN, PDEST, PENTER, and so on. So I was trying to find because you, you have you are given the sequence, so you the, like two sequences you need to recombine. So I was trying to uh, align them on on each other or between them. So I'm probably look, looking for some uh, repeat repeats because the combinations they should should have uh, some repeats to recombine. Well, not repeat, but the same sequences to recombine. So there was not uh, there was no big overlaps. So like C7 nucleotide something. So I was Googling again, then find, found some uh, ATT sequences that I was able to uh, find in the sequences that, uh, that are in the input and also like find, found some images saying how these uh, one things go to, like how they recommend. So at some point, a uh, word like phrase gateway recombination appeared. So I googled this. So there was some nice pictures how it works, and actually, if you then so from this, you know, you can you can Google some sequences. It's called like ATT sites. Basically, in there in PDEST, uh, there was I believe ATT L1 site and ATT uh, R1 site from like left left and right, and in a, another sequence you have uh, ATT. Uh, L2 and ATTR2, so also like left and right, and uh, the first one is uh, recombines with the first one, like ATTL1 recombines with what? Yeah, ATTL1 recombines with ATTL2, or uh, oh, <laughs> it's hard for problem. <laughs> so like after looking for all the sequences, you actually and looking at the figures that I come. Uh, like there are some materials on 
uh, I believe, uh, Thermo Fisher website and some other websites. So from this, you can understand like how, in what order, you know, is it ATT sequences are changed to ATB1 sequence and ATB2 and uh, the one fragment is like coming to another, uh, to uh, death sequence and so on. So like after following with this for a while, I was able to get the uh, simple output, like and the proper answer for the first problem. It was harder to get for the hard version because there you have actually four plasmids. Because uh, so it works like uh, you have two plasmids, like in the easy part, and uh, they align. They have some similar uh, sequences that are like repeats between the, both plasmids, and so they at these places the plasmid recombines. Like the two of them uh, get together and recombine the sequence. However, in the hard version, there are like four four plasmids, and uh, not just they uh, recombine like one with one with one, and then so. Uh, uh, the result is a second one and so on, but they actually combine all at the same time. So again, you can Google like three fragments, gateway combination or something like this. So they are also nice pictures how it works. <laughs> I wasn't able to make it myself. We, uh, when we followed the, like how participants solve it, we were not sure that it will be like for, like how solvable it would be. So when we, we saw that, well, people do solve it, then okay, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's always a relief. Yeah, this, that we didn't uh, make it super hard and unsolvable. Yeah. yeah, so, and actually this, in this problem, there are several tools to, maybe like, maybe not several, like maybe a lot of tools to do this. So, however, not all, not all of them. So I was trying to, to use one of them, it didn't work for me because some like these sites were weirdly found. They f- it was found as a ATT size, but some something happened. However, there, I believe so, uh, we know that several tools, at least one of them, at least <laughs> can be used uh, to do this. So and it's like one of the standard instrument in, like biotechnology. So people do this. It was very nice that uh, so even. So now, while well, we don't have uh, analysis published yet, so there is some discussion in the comments. So there, Kirill Tukhanov and I believe uh, Roberto Rosati, they who solved this problem, they have published in comments how did they solve it. So there a nice discussion. So at first I thought that well, these guys probably just knew how to like are familiar with this and knew how to do this, but actually no, they googled a lot of stuff and fi- found that uh, how it works. So inside the team we discussed like during the contest that probably we did uh, like a harsh harsh scoring scheme, so that's either like zero or seven hundred. So probably it wasn't maybe it wasn't the best choice, but. Like actually, it was solvable even without the proper knowledge how to do this. So people actually did Google it and found how it works. So it was pretty great. Yeah. So uh, my mistake probably was not enough googling. So I thought I just Google one query and and find the the solution. But apparently, yeah, you had to dig really, really deep into this to to figure it out. Well, actually, I, I believe so. When I did something, came up in like ten minutes after Google, of googling. So basically, the the idea is that once you are, uh, so basically for recommendation site, 
for a site-specific recommendation, there are not too many ways to do it. And actually, one of the links is says like recommendation site sequences where it contains some sequences that you can look up in your sequence, in the input sequence. And from this, it's kind of not very simple, but pretty straightforward. But you know that, okay, it's about 82 recommendations. So yeah, we can work with this. Yeah, for for some reason, the stuff I found on Google was like very, very high level, not specific. There were no like specific sequences or anything. It was just so, you know, they align and recombine yeah. and that's how it's done. Um, anyway, so how did you how did you come up with the examples? You said you didn't know the solution. So was that just another person who knew the solution and came up with the examples or were these, uh, I mean, the test cases, were they like actual real data that you somehow knew? They were generated. So generated by like some tool or or uh, one of you guys generated it? It was generated by tools and one of the guys. So it's basically the problem was designed by uh, Alexander Tkachenko, like who does like, biotechnology technology his spare time, I mean, it's not spare. <laughs> so he uh, like devised uh, this plasmids and sequences and so on. So so basically, that's how you do in biotechnology. So you you have one plasmid, you can, you want uh, to end, to get some sequences to another plasmid, and these ATC sequences are like in place. I be, it's probably even based on some real plasmids. Actually, in one of the tools that uh, are available, there are like, uh, by, you know, it's a store, like App Store, of plasmids <laughs> that actually calls like pdest pdest and so on oh, and p enter like pdest 8 or something so that's pdest and p enter was important uh, keywords that's cool okay so problem two in the final round was uh, species recovering and there you were basically given a um, directed to cyclic graph which is sort of a graph version of a phylogenetic tree so you could call it like a phylogenetic graph and um, in the leaves of, of this uh, DAG, uh, of this graph, you had, uh, so some of them were marked with some colors that are like traits. And then you have to figure out how to extend that coloring up the tree so that there is no uh, homoplasy. There are no traits that sort of independently arise in multiple branches right is that a fair way to put it mm -hmm. yeah so um did you have a good solution for this problem so there is three parts of the problems uh, ordered by uh, hardness so the first one yes i believe pretty straightforward so it's actually you just uh, try to color it and it's either works or not the second part is harder there is also like ex exact solution but not the trivial and I believe for the third one, we don't have exact solution. The problem maybe is even NP complete. So it's actually hard to get this. Well, it's, it's sounds NP complete. So for this, we didn't have, uh, I believe we didn't have an exact solution. It's this one, this problem appeared because actually this was designed from the algorithm. So there was an, like a nice algorithm to solve it for the second version. So and that we, and then we simplified it. Uh, for the first version and uh, made it harder for the third one. <laughs> yeah. So what was the name of the algorithm? I'm not sure it's named <laughs> yet. <laughs> so did, did you just like invent it or something? 
Uh, so uh, it comes from uh, Max Alexeyev lab from uh, in Washington University. They do some computational biology on these networks and phylogenetic networks, trees, and so on. So they, and I can, I'm not sure they published it, but they they knew it at least, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe devised it. So they, uh, one of the guys from this lab, uh, suggested this problem, and here it goes. I don't believe it's, uh, it has a name. Oh, we should. Call, what's the name of the guy? Alexeyev. We should call it Alexeyev algorithm. <laughs> yeah, probably there was two Alexeyevs. So Nikita Alexeyev is one. So Nikita Alexeyev is one of the person on the team. So he so he developed uh, this problem, uh, problems couple types and uh, linear programming problems with, for ATP and the, from the qualification. So he uh, was a postdoc in Max Alexeyev lab okay. in Washington. Yeah, and they have different surnames, actually. They sound uh, the same, but they are written different. So probably it's, it's one of the Alexeyev's algorithms. <laughs> so the third problem is haplotype phasing. And there you are given a bunch of reads. The reads have in them like actual variants and also noise. Uh, so... Um, mutations, insertions, deletions, and uh, you are given the um, locations of the known variants that you are interested in. Actually, the number of variants was relatively small. So it was uh, like 10 in some problems, up to 30 in, in the others. And the task was to figure out the haplotypes, and you are given the number of haplotypes. Um, so... Basically, when you produce a read, you choose uh, randomly, but according to some probabilities. Uh, you choose one of the um, haplotypes, and then you apply mutations and deletions and insertions and generate a read from that haplotype. And so you had to recover all the haplotypes. And the number of haplotypes was also relatively small. So it was, I think, four to six. Uh, yeah, or five, something like this. Yeah. What do you think of that problem? So it's again a like problem that tried to be designed in a way uh, like to come from bioinformatics. So the, the phasing problem is pretty important, and a lot of people do this, and it's also becomes doable with uh, long reads like PubMed reads or like Anapor reads, and so on. So here we had a few different versions of this in the beginning. So whether there sites are known, whether they're not, whether they have to be like aligned and found and so on. So we decided that we'll give the participants the places, like the sites that have different variants. So it's, so let's say it's simpler on, on the, on the first part, like say you don't need to find them first. And then the problem is actually about trying to recover the haplotypes. And here, Again, there is no like exact solution for this problem. It's probably pretty hard. And the tests tests were designed for like different sets of solutions. So, for example, the first test actually you can just enumerate all the. So it was pretty small. I believe there were two haplotypes and like ten places. You can enumerate all possible haplotypes and then get the two of them that uh, are most likely to be. 
uh, like from the data. And uh, next, they're getting harder and harder. Like, I'm not sure how we solved the seventh, te- seventh test. So we uh, we had a solution. So for this problem, we uh, had a solution that achieved hundred percent for all the problem for all the test cases. So I, I don't know it sadly. I believe we'll publish it in the analysis. And I believe you also have some nice solution for all of this. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> or was it also branch bound? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so uh, it, it was even worse. It, it was pretty much manual labor. <laughs> so, like, I saw that a lot of people solved it, so it it couldn't be hard. And and also the test cases were pretty small. And uh, like at first, I had no idea how to to approach it. So, like, the first step is. Did I do assembly? I guess yeah. You ha- you have to assemble them and and align them. Oh no, you ha- you don't have to because you were actually given the reference genome, so you don't have to do mm-hmm. assembly. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the choices that we made. That, well, yeah. it's not a problem about like genome assembly. So like we'll we'll, we'll have a reference right in the, in the statement. Yeah. So I just used uh, I used a Minimap to to align uh, the reads to the genome. Uh, first, I tried Bowtie. Bowtie was uh, was pretty slow. Uh, Minimap 2 was much faster. So I used Minimap to align. And then I couldn't actually figure out how to use any of the sort of variant calling or whatever tools to, you know, to to extract the counts. Uh, so I tried mm-hmm. uh, some tools and pile up, but it uh, didn't quite work for me. Couldn't figure out how to how to use it properly. Uh, so I, I did all that algorithmically just in, in my Haskell program. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what, what I did was in, in my Haskell program, I just uh, generated um, KMER. So if you if you ignore all the rest, like once the reads are aligned, you don't care about anything except those positions. So you can just sort of throw that away. And you have just these uh, 10 or so positions. So you can treat this as a string of 10 uh, nucleotides or 30 mm-hmm. nucleotides. And then uh, it's like similar to how genome assembly works. So they use the Bruin graph. Uh, so they uh, consider sort of consecutive KMERs. And so in this case, I also printed consecutive KMERs. But then I was misled uh, by... Uh, so in, in the problem, you said that uh, there are certain frequencies for each um, haplotype. And so I try to somehow use that information. So I, I try to come up with some sort of probabilistic model that would tell me which sort of combinations are are more likely. And I just couldn't couldn't figure out how to do that. So and this was like late in the night. So I I took advantage of all the uh, twenty four hours. Uh, I got no sleep that day. Um, and so late into the night, I was just uh, I would print these K-mers. And assemble them manually, just on, on the pen and paper. Uh, and it worked fine with smaller problems, but with larger problems, it. So I, I was able to assemble something, but it didn't get me the full score. And then uh, it was already the morning, so it was like nine in the morning where it, it occurred to me that it's completely stupid because, well, I tried to assemble them all simultaneously, but what you can do is once you assemble the most likely one, you just throw away all the reads that are likely to come from that haplotype 
and then you repeat the procedure. So then you assemble the sort of the second most mm -hmm. likely one, and that makes it much easier. And I got um, all of them like exactly correct. But but first I spent like probably the whole night like assembling them on paper. So that's like reminds me. So Bioinformatics Institute uh, held a Bioinformatics Summer School in, in Russia. So and since I believe like since few years ago, they started to make uh, a genome assembly problem where people like have to like to assemble genome on like piece of, pieces of paper. So they read a uh, pieces of paper and then they have to manually align them and so. On. <laughs> yeah, I also felt like, uh, you know, one of those very early bioinformaticians or biologists who were, you know, aligning. I, I think I, I read about this somewhere that they were aligning reads like literally by hand be, uh, before there were like powerful computers or something or when they didn't have access to computers, they would just uh, figure out on, on paper how to align them. So I felt a bit like that. <laughs> Let's quickly finish the, the last two problems. Okay, so cluster the reads. That's basically a standard problem. Uh, so you have 16S rRNA sequences, and you have to assemble OTUs. That's a standard problem, except you made it harder because, like, usually those sequences are sort of all aligned, all have the same length, uh, because when people do amplicon, uh, sequencing, so they have the primers for specific um, parts of, of the 16S region, but you made it nanopore reads, which are not not aligned. So I tried a couple of tools, but they didn't work. Uh, I, I tried USearch, the famous tool, but it really, I think, works on the fixed sequences, right? So do you know if any of the standard tools work on this? Um, I'm not sure. So like... When we design tests, so one of the things that we tried to do is uh, the length part is important. So the 16s are of the different lengths. So then the reads are of different lengths. So actually here we have some problem with scoring scheme. So we so the simplest solution that achieved like non-zero score was to get a separate read to separate cluster. So we didn't design this. So it was a our mistake. However, like the Second, like for for test number one or and few other tests, so there you can just cluster the reads by the lengths. So there are like three in the first, I believe, test. There are like three actually like genes, different genes, and they are of different lengths and they have different lengths of nanopore reads. Actually, it's, it's not. Uh, it was. It doesn't require actually any tool to do this. So there you can. You can find lengths of the reads pretty, well, I believe, pretty easily, and then cluster them together also pretty easily. Also, like for this problem, we don't have uh, an exact solution like that achieved hundred percent score. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we thought about this, we thought about solutions like calculating some kind of pairwise distance, or like maybe not pairwise, but like, to make a distance between reads. So the K-mirror distance or something like this, mm -hmm. and then to use uh, clustering like available clustering algorithms, you know, available implementation or maybe not like uh, implemented by hand, like K-means, you can probably use yeah. it. Although there are a lot of uh, tools for clustering. This was prob problem maybe <laughs> maybe not for just uh, standard tools for genomic fields, but for standard tools in like machine learning maybe field. Yeah. 
Well, so I, I used it with genomics tools. So what, what I did was uh, first use an assembly program. So assemble these reads. I didn't realize, so are, are you saying uh, every read cover the whole gene? Uh, not exactly, but uh, it's, it's it's close to this. Yeah. So I, I used uh, I used what what did I use? I think MegaHit. I used just to to assemble them and to get some context, and then I would use Blast to align align the reads to to the context, and so the reads that align to the same context I put into the same cluster. Mm-hmm. I, I think it worked reasonably well. You know, is there a, like nanopore metagenomic uh, something uh, assembler? Probably you can run like metaspace. <laughs> I actually, uh, yeah, I have something to complain about because I, I tried to use <laughs> metaspace and it just crashed on me. Oh, uh, that, that was very weird. <laughs> Probably like I, I downloaded the precompiled binaries of space and space just uh, it, it just crashed when I tried to run it. Well, you should deport the bug like another yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, and so the final problem is cattle breeding. Uh, well, that that was an insane problem. So at first, it sounds like a very simple one because basically, what you do, so you're given some uh, so cows and some bulls, and some data about them, and you tell the server how to breed them, and the server tells you the result of breeding, and so your goal is to achieve the maximum milk output. And so first, I thought, well. People used to do this. This this is not hard, right? You just take the best performing cows and bulls and, and you cross them. Like, what's what's hard about it? Um, but then uh, I tried to submit something and I realized that the catch was that you didn't report, like, when you cross, so you, you say, for example, cross this 10 bulls and 10 cows, right? Uh, 10 pairs. And uh, the server didn't tell you which offspring came from which pair. Right, that's probably was part of the problem. Uh, it was line by line, actually. Oh, was it? Well, <laughs> I didn't realize. That. <laughs> oh gosh. No. Yeah. So, how how would you approach that problem? What was the hard thing about it? Easy thing about it? So there were two interesting things about it. So one of them is that so that's coming basically from cattle breeding real problem. So you don't know. How, don't uh, really know how to select uh, bulls because they don't produce milk, so they, you can can select uh, one that produces milk. So that's uh, so for this we uh, added uh, like separate traits that probably can correlate with uh, milk production. I can I'm not sure it worked for for anyone, but they were not were there not uh, randomly. So actually they should have should. Uh, should correlate with milk production and so on. Mm-hmm. And the second uh, hard part is that there were se- several like little, uh, recessive little like, SNPs in the genome. So if you uh, like inbreeding, basically if you select uh, co-relatives, so at some point you can get uh, like basically zero lifespan. That means that they are dead. <laughs> but otherwise... I thought about this problem in general, like how, like basically how to select, uh, how to breed like cows and bulls, like what you should do with it, even like if you have a genome and if and if you don't. So it was kind of I don't know how to solve it properly. Yeah. And we don't know. Is that a business idea of yours? Uh, not, but uh, 
yeah, I kind of know I know guys who try to do cattle breeding, but oh, really? uh, with, uh, with genome arrays basically to mm-hmm. know the genotype. So, but anyway, like actually, one of the things that you uh, that we said here is that you can't uh, cross more than twenty pairs in the yeah. in one submission. So it was also like not a uh, random because in actual circumstances when you breed, you can't uh, breed like anyone, uh, like all the cows versus all the cows. So you have to select something uh, like normal and then wait again for like a few years to know like how it works out and so on. So, so yeah, like for this, I, like, I don't know the solution. So, you know, we encourage participants to say what are the algorithms that they use. But uh, anyway, so the main idea it was that you can just uh, basically select uh, the top ones and probably use some other traits as uh, like markers and helpers. Actually, it also comes uh, from uh, research uh, doing like, an adjacent lab with evolutionary algorithms. So they have uh, some algorithms for like multi-objective optimization that has or, like multi-criteria. It has, and actually, again, coming back to this. Uh, uh, problem of generating hard tests. So they actually, well, they optimize for one thing, like uh, life, well, not there, it's not life, but runtime of the problem. They use uh, several other markers, like uh, loop counters and so on to uh, to like optimize for this. So here, uh, the idea comes from this, so that you can, you want to optimize one thing, but you can opti- you can use other uh, criteria to, to, to do this. So kind of, some kind of like genetic algorithm uh, style solution we were expected. Or like manually like selecting the top ones and crossing them. Right. So so for cows, uh, you could just select based on their output, but for bulls, you, you look at the cows, you correlate the output with some other traits, and that's how you select the bulls? Is, is that the roughly yeah, the like for example, to... yeah. yeah, for basically the um, bulls, bulls have some genotypes that are maybe uh, increases the milk, produ- milk, milk production or decreases. So you don't, you can't know it from there, like phenotype, uh, like they, because they don't produce milk, but you can look at other traits and uh, to say that, okay, maybe your size correlate with the milk production or something like this. I believe uh, in the test there, like at least some traits are, are correlating with this. So maybe not not hundred percent, but there is some correlation. But basically, yes, this is one of one of the problems that we don't know the solution. We are eager to know how people approached. Yeah, maybe it's more suitable for the um, qualification round when you had plenty of time and you could play with that. Well, probably. I know. So one of the things we tried to have an interactive problem because it's uh, makes makes the uh, like round more fun. I would say yeah, it's fun for yeah. most of the people. It's uh, just well, it's fun to to select some cows and to like look what happens and so on. So it's actually not many points are actually achievable by this problem. Yeah, people. I think people didn't do very well on that problem, right? Yeah, like even of the allocated points, uh, not many were claimed. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we are like we are like overallocated basically points. So one hundred percent actually almost the best call possible in this genome model. It's probably not 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 uh, reachable from the input. That makes sense. And in a reasonable time. 
Yeah. Also, what I found interesting about this problem is that it sort of comes closest to the statistics machine learning field out of so you mentioned that some kind of you know clustering algorithms could be used in the previous one in the reclustering but this one sounds really like uh, like a problem for some machine learning algorithm to like figure out the the features yeah so there where you have some features like there are several features that you can try to correlate to use them to uh, basically say uh, how good is the bull? So basically, this problem is about bull selection. At bull selection at not cause, because for cause it's pretty straightforward almost. But for uh, for bulls it's harder. Was it, was there any penalty of just you know trying many 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 options? Because you you selected the maximum out of all possible like cows that I got back. Was there any limitations? Like if if I sat all day and submitted. All, all the options would I be able to do like at least somewhat well? Well, maybe it depends on the so. <laughs> there's uh, some note in the problem statement that the results, are, like responses, uh, not deterministic. Yeah. So uh, basically, the breeding is non-deterministic. So actually, some of the participants maybe were more lucky than the others. You know what they <laughs> get in the like, first rounds. So. I also it was it was also like discussion points like where is it like the same for all of them for all the participants mm. or random so we decided well we don't want unlucky participants at the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be better. This this is my request for for the next year. Do you, do you by the way plan the bioinformatics contest 2019? Well, likely. So please do. Yeah. So we are like looking for problems for like sponsors for and so on so uh, it depends on and also so the first uh, contest was ma- mainly just for fun for us at least like for uh, ITMO team so and the second one we tried to also make it so here in the ITMO we open a master program in like bioinformatics so and this is one of the ways to attract and actually it's international so it's one of the ways for us to attract the future students so we'll see how it works so if it works we definitely will repeat it again and also if we find if we'll have a problem set we also repeat it and if we find some sponsors we also repeat this yeah yeah, there are a couple of ways that we are going to do it again and still fun so yeah, I have to say that regarding uh, your your advertising for your master's program, you didn't do a good job because I had no idea about <laughs> the program. Like I participated, and this is the first time I hear about it. Yeah, we will say about it uh, like in their final letter for the participants. So you you will get the message about this. <laughs> Next time, like put it somewhere in big letters. Uh, yeah. So I was I was saying that my request for the next time, if you do a problem like this, it would be nice if you could interact with the server, not just via this form on the website, but uh, via some kind of um, API, like a HTTP request response, uh, so that I could like write a program that would automatically, like of course with with some rate capping, but it, it could make the decision what to breed sort of talk to the server, get the results back, analyze them all in this automatic mode, it will be, I think, much better than having an actual human person copy-paste the, the text. Yeah, maybe. Even like in the previous contest, we had a also interactive problem. So when we tried 
like to design it, how to how people will uh, solve it, and how they submit the solutions. So usually, like in programming contests, they, you just submit a program that interacts with the like, checker. Yeah. Or here we have uh, like more broader audience, so they are not familiar with this, so and it can be complicated. So we decided this like in this format, it's at least good for everyone. So you can just whatever the way you came up with the answer, you can submit it and then ask questions so and so. We'll try. We'll try to to make other schemes, but yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just saying you, you could keep this scheme where if if someone uh, don't know uh, doesn't know how to how to submit requests, they they can just copy paste the text. But it's also nice to have like a additional option of having you know a program just talk to the server itself. Yeah, we will think about it. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, um, we've been chatting for quite a while. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, on behalf of all the participants, thank you for organizing this. I look forward to the contest in the next year. We uh, hope for you to participate in it too, and probably the several others after that. <laughs> thank you for inviting us. And we also want to thank our participants for taking their time and competing in the contest. And uh, I also wanted to add that we're really thankful to the STEPIC team for their support on accommodating us. And also, we'll send a feedback form soon. So, any like problems, uh, ideas for problems, or, uh, suggestions, and whatever other comments, just uh, put it there. They will be very welcome. <laughs>